Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast for the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fair, and I'm joined today by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello, Rich. How are you doing, Samuel? I mean, we're recording this an hour after the Champions League draw has just taken place. It feels uh, I didn't have to pick your name out of a hat to get you on here today. I mean, everyone knows who you are. And United drawn against PSG. You know, it's the inevitable Pochettino, Messi versus Ronaldo. But a draw marked in controversy. It looks as if United weren't maybe in the hat properly for the, the, after they'd drawn, you know, they weren't meant to be drawn against Villarreal. Um, so Man City got them Thankfully instead. Thankfully they, they weren't, drew, yeah. No, not again. And then they got the, the Atletico name out of a hat and when they drew the teams to decide who could play Atletico Madrid, it looked as if United weren't included there, which, you know, obviously compromises the integrity of the draw. And of course it was broadcast live across Europe and those uh, images are doing the rounds on social media. Again, not a good look for UEFA and yeah, a really weird sort of situation we're in now where, you know... I mean, sporting integrity is probably a hot topic after the weekend sporting events, isn't it? Um, yeah, like you said, it's it's a really weird one. It is. I mean, I've I've asked you for the question as to whether they're they're planning to release a statement or even redo the draw because I think there's a, a pretty compelling case for that. And the last I heard from them was trying to check what is going on, which I think pretty much uh, sums up the situation. So but by the time people are listening to this, there, there may have been another draw and, and United will probably still have got Paris Saint-Germain as well, given the propensity they those two teams have for, for coming up against each other in, in recent seasons. But the, the the footage was 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 quite telling. It was quite apparent what what happened. Um, I think some people are trying to strangely excuse it because United were in the Villarreal pot, so they shouldn't have been in the Atletico pot. But I didn't, I didn't quite get the logic behind that. I think ultimately the the integrity of of the draw was was compromised by what happened. And as you said, alluding to the the F1 uh, Grand Prix on Sunday, uh, you know, as if you know, it's not the first time a sports body would make a last minute rule change just just for dramatic purposes. And of course, with PSG United, it's it's Messi and it's Ronaldo. And yeah, for UEFA, that's that that was probably the the perfect draw when it was apparent that that PSG were finishing second and United were were coming first. Uh, but the, the issue, I think. The issue we have as, as journalists just covering it is that the, the integrity appears to be compromised. There's there's no tribalism whatsoever. As I said, if they redid it again, United would would probably get PSG again, uh, just just because of the frequency they've they've come up against each other. But ultimately, if if, if anyone wants to see it, Mark Mark Critchley is the the techno wizard who's clipped the 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 the, the footage and and kind of that seems to demonstrate quite clearly that United's pot where they had balls um, reserved in their name that would be placed in each individual tie depending on whether they could actually draw that team who'd finished second and hadn't finished in their group as well it appears that a ball isn't taken out of their pot to go in for that Atletico tie and Atletico have ended up with with Bayern Munich but it's you know, when that happens every draw from then on is it seems to be a bit tainted, it, it feels like. And it, it wasn't a surprise to me that United, as, as we were waiting, you know, sports in Lisbon, that might have been nice. Lisbon's a great city. Into Milan, I was personally hoping for going to the San Siro. And the moment went on, I thought, it's pretty clear United's ball is going to be the last one standing here. But it, it feels as though it, it, it should be redone just, just for the integrity of it. But whether that happens or not remains to be seen at this time. 
Yeah, UEFA and integrity don't usually go together in the same space exactly. as Samuel. So yeah, we'll wait and see. Like we said, that's a developing story. Whenever you listen to this, check the MEM for all the latest on whatever is happening with that drawing. Yeah, like we said, it almost feels pointless, this next question, because we're going to talk about a tie briefly that might not even take place, Samuel. But like you said, even if they redid the draw, it wouldn't be a surprise if United did get PSG. It is a fascinating one. You know, the headlines write themselves, don't they, in terms of this. Um yeah, what do you make of that as a prospect? Do you think United would... I mean, Cavani came out, didn't he, over the weekend, said he didn't fear anyone. Obviously, you get those sort of cliches. You've got to beat the best if you want to win any competition anyway. Mm-hmm. United and PSG, we saw PSG. I was at the Etihad when they played Man City. They were feeble, lacklustre, had no game plan, were a team of individuals. Obviously, maybe you put these two teams against each other on video games. It looks like a mouth-watering tie. But United, if they have that sort of cohesion, must fancy their chances. I agree. Uh, I think the notion that United, some United fans are going on about the draw because they, they don't want to play against PSG is, is completely inaccurate. I think that there's a lot to go out at PSG. And of course, as you said, you were at that game when City played there. Um, City are just a great side and, and you expect City to, to perform well against PSG and, and to beat them at home as well. But the way that they just bulldozed them in that game and uh, they actually went one nil down, and that was a travesty at the time. But they still, uh, they, they still came from behind and won that. I also thought the game at the Parc des Princes. I thought City were the better side overall in that game. Uh, they they just happened to concede two goals in each half, and it was one of those games where they've had a few of them already this season, where they didn't have their shooting boots on that night, and they they didn't even score. So it was. I, I thought just looking at that game that I, I certainly fancied City for the second game. United have got ample time to uh, to become familiar with uh, Rangnick's methods and what he wants from them. They are very much a work in pro- progress, as we've seen already from the first two league games. But certainly, if they're able to, you know, to get a balance and to get the front four really clicking not and I don't just mean the telepathy and working so that they're scoring loads of goals but the actual work off the ball then I think they've got a very good chance of getting past PSG. PSG are just not a team in Mauricio Pochettino's image and that's that's another subplot to it in that Pochettino did want to leave mid-season to go to United. PSG played hardball with United would you expect them to, given that they're one of the upstarts and, and United are part of this elite um, uh, that, that has been established over a number of decades in European football? So it was it was kind of like new money coming up against old money there. And you just knew that PSG weren't going to budge, even though there's, there's clearly friction there between Pochettino and, and the club. And although his contract is there for another 18 months, I don't think many people expect him to last that long, whether he goes to United in the summer or not. It, it's, it just seems a bit of a stretch for Pochettino to last another another full season at PSG. And he took that job because he was becoming impatient. He'd been out of work for 13 months. They were a former club. It, it made a hell of a lot of sense on a lot of levels, but it wasn't the job that he was, that he was pining for, and that was the United one. So... You know, we, as, as someone has, has already said, it, going back to the 2019 game, we've already seen a caretaker manager get upgraded to permanent manager from beating PSG. There's a lot of football to be played between now and then. But similarly to the situation Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was in at that time, um, United have quite a reasonable run of fixtures over the next couple of months building up to those PSG games. So they could be in a much better place uh, come the first leg in, in February, provided they, they still do play <laughs> PSG and the draw isn't redone. 
Yeah, exactly. Like I said, I think, I mean, history repeating itself in terms of the caretaker becoming the chosen one, the permanent one. Who knows? Like I said, there's lots of games uh, up ahead and we'd be interested to see how United fare of them. And I know that maybe if we asked the question last week and we looked ahead to United's next 10 games, there would have been some fans who were saying we'll get 10 wins from them, at least maybe eight or nine. United do seem to have a favourable run of fixtures, but we've seen so often this season that those are the games which do sort of underpin United's failure. And, you know, that's where they often come unstuck, which is quite interesting because Ranić's two games in charge have been against those sort of teams, Palace and Norwich, both of them 1-0 wins, both of them vital clean sheets, but both of them came, you know, with a bit of worry at the other end where the Andre, oh, sorry, the Jordan Ayew chance for Palace at Old Trafford that almost won it for them. Norwich themselves are, I thought, very well drilled and really good going forward at times at Carrow Road on the weekend. What have you made of these first two league games under Ralph Ranić, Samuel? Because, like I said, there's been lots lots of good, but it still feels like United are just slowly getting better and still feel quite limited. I know some fans at the weekend were saying, well, Chelsea absolutely thumped Norwich. And of course, that was a home tie. This was an away tie. But United still don't look thoroughly convincing, do they? There's definitely an element of deprogramming that's required if they're all to be on the same wavelength and playing the way that Rangnick wants them to play. Very early on, we saw Fernandez ping a, a direct pass for Rashford to run onto and Rashford had, had held his run. And then come the next stoppage, Fernandez was pretty much asking him, why didn't you run for that? That was probably the only one all night where that that wasn't on Fernandez. Every other misfire was very much on him. He's his form for a number of months now has been really really poor. His performance level is is consistently low. Uh, I think he's lucky to have been uh, playing as regularly as he has been in the Premier League. Michael Carrick obviously jolted him uh, in in Spain for the Villarreal game. He came on, did well, and he seemed to play a lot calmer. But he's regressed since he came back into the back into the team at Chelsea. And although he had a part in Sancho's goal in that game, it was only because Jorginho, um, you know, mis- miscontrolled the ball. It was Fernandez's Hoik that was pretty much being ridiculed by the by the Chelsea supporters. But looking at the team on on Saturday, Fernandez and Rashford are the ones who who just aren't at it at the moment. They've not been at it for for quite a while. I think we all sensed that it was going to be an unchanged side, even though Greenwood had submitted a compelling case against Young Boys because the team against Palace had had pretty much a week to prepare for the Norwich game. They'd been training in, in, in a different group from the other group that was down to play against young boys as well. But it was I, I thought Rangnick's assessment was was completely accurate in that he he praised pretty much the, the seven starters who were behind the front four, but he questioned the the way the front four approached the game. And he was he was right to bring Greenwood on when he did. I, I think the only twist to it was that it was Sancho who came off. I thought of the four Sancho was probably the brightest when he was on the ball and looked the most threatening. But again, for the second league game running, he was the one who was first off and, and somehow Rashford saw out the game, which it was, was mystifying, not just those of us in the press box, but speaking to United fans who were there after the game as well. They were, they were pretty staggered that he'd played out that game. The good thing for United is that they have got options to come into that front four, and I think they need to persist with the front uh, with with the current formation, um, just because they need an identity again. The run of fixtures is is quite inviting, and I think they can get by with it and get into that groove as well. And you look at Van der Beek, Greenwood; those are two players who could very very easily come into that team. Lingard's another one who has to be in with a shout, even though his his future is very much up in the air, to say the least. 
but he's with his intensity with his work off the ball i think that does that 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 is quite aligned with what rangnick wants from forward players but it remains to be seen if that comes off cavani is a very intense striker as well which i think will be uh, beneficial for united and ronaldo whenever he is fit whenever he is available i think he's only been available for eight or nine games this season that's that's been the problem with his time at united uh, but even the defensive side at Norwich, um, United were giving away too many chances and, and Rangnick was dissatisfied with with elements of that in terms of giving away free kicks, the amount of corners they had to defend. Uh, they were far from watertight and I, I, I didn't really, it never struck me as a game that United were just going to, that was going to be a breeze for United. Norwich are a different kettle of fish altogether now with, with Dean Smith as manager. Uh, I think just even little things like the kickoff time, the floodlights being on, evening game, Man United in town, there's a different buzz, a different atmosphere around the ground, something in the air there. And Norwich fans kind of sense that they could pull off a shock. They they feel quite encouraged by what they've seen in, in recent weeks, even though the results have still, by and large, not gone their way. Uh, but there's an awful lot of encouragement that they've extracted from those games, and I was I was very very impressed by them. They they certainly don't look the certainties to go down that they they certainly were under Daniel Fark. But as Gary Neville said, Rangnick's had two games in charge in the league, two one nil wins. That's two clean sheets um, in successive league games for the first time since March, I think it is. He's played 23 senior players so far, so he's been able to cast his eye over almost everyone in that squad. So if you'd offered that to him uh, before his first game in charge, he'd have absolutely taken that. But Brentford are going to be a much more intense side. So they, they are going to have to up their game if, if that game does indeed go ahead on Tuesday night. Yeah, exactly. Like you said there, and that is maybe maybe the next talking point itself, then, isn't it? I mean, we talk about a lot of activity away from the pitch as well this weekend. And there was that COVID outbreak uh, on Sunday evening that was reported. Uh, what is the latest on that, Samuel, as we record this at midday on the Monday then? United said it was a small number of cases which would indicate that they don't feel as though the fixture is is in jeopardy, but they've not actually specified whether they've they've requested for for the game to be postponed. As you say, kickoffs what uh, 20, 31 and a half hours away, or just over thirty one hours away now. Uh, very very precise there, but <laughs> it it would have to, it would have to be extreme short notice now for that for that game to be called off. Um, the, the players, there was a bit of uh, noise this morning online about the, it being strange that none of the players turning up at Carrington this morning. Well, that's because they're not scheduled to turn up at that time the day before uh, an away game, an evening away game. They'll, they'll be training in the afternoon and then they'll be likely going off to the airport and, and flying down to London for their overnight stay ahead of ahead of the Brentford game. So there was nothing strange about that. The fact that uh, a press officer drove into Carrington <laughs> would suggest that, I, I mean, it's not, not much of a story. Well, it's not a story. Press officer drives into Carrington for work. But the fact that um, someone who normally travels with the team was present would indicate that the training complex doesn't need a deep clean and the outbreak has not been widespread. Players did train outside uh, at Carrington on um, on Sunday as well, so it's not like training was completely called off. The players who started at, at Norwich on on Saturday didn't train at all because it was a recovery day for them. So it was just the the players who uh, only played a little bit in that game or, or didn't play at all who provided they tested negative and were fit to fit to train on Sunday that that trained. So 
hopefully it goes ahead um you know in the in the news cycle maelstrom that is man united it's um it's it's gone quite a long long way down the down now given the <laughs> champions league draw so hopefully as i said um there are no more uh, drastic developments on that and the players punch in and train it and then head off to london yeah i guess from your point of view as well so i'm obviously excited to to go down to brentford a ground you won't have been to before what what would you expect from from that as, as an away day yourself is it one you are looking forward to albeit a midweek one I, I was I was certainly um, disappointed never to be able to go to Griffin Park. Uh, United, if, I, I think the last time they played Brentford was in 1975, when, when obviously Tommy Doherty was manager, and that was in the League Cup. They've they've not played each other in the league since 1947, which is remarkable when you think of some of the teams just in the FA Cup. Uh, United drew Yeovil uh, three years apart, and there's Brentford who've. Yeah, have had a pretty reasonable profile in the football league for, for a number of years now, yeah. and they've they've just never ever played them, and, and never seemed to come close to playing them either. But Brentford have done brilliantly this season. They've been one of the major success stories of the Premier League uh, ever since that first game against Arsenal on the Friday night, where I thought you know I thought good on them really when they were doing a lap of honour at the end of the game. It was bringing the supporters and the players together back in the Premier League for the first time, uh, beating Arsenal on a Friday night. They were well entitled to, to milk that moment. I, I, I thought even though it was just the first game of the season, it was it was just it was just brilliant to see just to have a, a full stadium back um in, in English football and, and the players and the manager seeming seem to have a real a real connection with those supporters as well, which is, is some going given that they moved into that stadium during lockdown, I think it was and so Griffith, Griffin Park didn't have the send-off that, that it would have deserved. But they're a very intense side. And, um, you know, Rangnick's already said that he expects them to be more physical than Norwich, which I think they will be. I think just the running they do and uh, the profile of players that they've signed and the way they've adapted to the Premier League. In retrospect, maybe it's not so much of a surprise that they're doing as well as they, they are because they've, they've got the capabilities in their squad. But still, to have 20 points at this point is... Is phenomenal going, and uh, from from United's supporters' perspective, who will be there, it's, it looks like it's got scope to be a, a pretty good away day. I think the fact that it's an evening game will will lend to the atmosphere as well, and uh, the, the, where the away stand's situated, it's it's quite close to a goal, which is always what you want as well. You don't want what <laughs> uh, I, th- I think it was Martin O'Neill at, at Sunderland. He, he had the away fans put in the the tier above. Uh, one of the goals and, and Newcastle as well. You're up in the gods. As far as away away ends go, though, those are not ideal in terms of milking or uh, or savouring a, a goal when it goes in. No, not at all. And I mean, you said that yeah, United haven't faced them in the league for so long. Of course, they did meet in pre-season. Not that that matters too yeah. much. I mean, that, Andreas Pereira scored a wonder goal, so you can basically chalk that off as an irrelevant match. Uh, in terms of what you expect from United this midweek, then Samuel, you've already hinted maybe uh, at your personal selection in terms of of a team like you. There, I think Greenwood has to be starting these sort of games, particularly with Rashford's poor form. Bruno Fernandez is someone who is still being given a, a bit too much lenience in the starting eleven. I think I think I saw before he gave away the ball twenty six times against Norwich at the weekend, which is just That's absolutely. Yeah, which is absolutely staggering. And then, of course, you've got the two fullbacks, and, of course, this depends on Wan-Pasaka's own fitness, I'm not sure. But, you know, there's, there's a real sort of 
decisions to be made about them now, aren't they? Because they were the two reserve fullbacks, but there's arguments to say they should both be starting on merit regardless of, of who's fit. So coming into the Brentford game, I mean, I'm not asking exactly for your full 11, but what sort of changes would you make to, to the United squad for that game? I think Greenwood probably will come in just because there needs improvement in, in that attacking quartet. It, it might be seen as too extreme from Rangnick's perspective to you know, check, you know, change half of that, if you like, and, and bring another forward in. Um, I, although Donny van der Beek is... When, when he plays now, he really does put himself about. I think just as impressive as, as his goal and his passes at Watford was that he he sent a Watford player um, to back back down the tunnel uh, seeking treatment. That that's a side of his game that nobody's ever previously associated him with. But he was always going to have to beef up to to get up to speed um, with the Premier League because it is so much more physical than it is in in Holland. And he does, he does seem to have bulked up as well. And he, he's not, he's certainly not hesitant in terms of putting his foot in anymore. So I, I, I still think that Van der Beek is more aligned with what Rangnick wants than Fernandes. But maybe Brentford on a midweek evening game isn't the right environment for it. Which sounds as sounds slightly odd, given that United have spent forty million pounds on a player who's come from Ajax, playing the Champions League semi-final, and is a Dutch international. But sometimes you have to think pragmatically at times and, and from Rangnick's perspective, maybe it's better to keep Fernandez in the team just for this occasion and then possibly change it up when it comes to the, the Brighton game on Saturday because Brighton are more of a... Of, I'm not saying Brentford aren't a footballing side, but the way Brighton play, you don't really associate the physical side of it as much as you do with with Brentford, even though Brighton have some very, uh, certainly in terms of their, their frames imposing centre-backs. Um, and also Van der Beek has just not started a meaningful league game in, in over a year. So, and, and we saw in the Villarreal game when he came in, he didn't really take his chance in that one. And I think we'd have all probably expected him to start a league game uh, by now after that Watford game when he was brilliant in the second half, but it's, it's still not happening for him. So there's got to be an element of patience there. Still, um, I, I agree with you. When you touch upon the fullbacks, I, I can see maybe him, him freshening it up there. I thought the fullbacks were good again on uh, on, on Saturday. I, I don't think they would either of them. If, if either of them were to come out, I don't think it would be because of their performance. I think it would just be a case of freshening it up, just bringing some new energy into the side. Even though, as, as we've just touched upon and, and spoken about, they had a six-day gap between the games. But then you go Saturday, Tuesday, and you start to think given the performance as well at Norwich, that there are parts of the team that, that certainly need freshening up and would, would one change really suffice? It, it probably wouldn't. Uh, and of course, we, you know, I, I don't I don't think we'll get an update from the club before the game, but with, with Lindelof and the worrying nature in which he was, was forced off on Saturday, it, it remains to be seen whether he'd be, he'd be fit enough to play. So I, I can see two or three changes happening at Brentford. Yeah, like I said, it'd be interesting to see. And I suppose maybe the last point is in the terms of players who, who are available. I know that this podcast will come out after the embargo section as well of Ranick's uh, press conference on the weekend. So I guess the early team news is that, you know, there's a chance that we could see Cavani and Wan-Bissaka back in the squad. Varane as well will be sort of pushing for, for an involvement, but we not expect any of them to start the match or, or maybe would you? Um. I suppose it, it it depends with Lindelof, but I still think that would be a bit of a stretch for Varane to be parachuted in. I think Bailly would would probably be the, the 
not the safer bet necessarily because he, he did malfunction at one point at Norwich. He, he, you always know it's coming with Eric Bailly. He, he can't go a week without doing something that, that is just an absolute act of madness. But I, I think overall this season, when he has started, apart from the City game, he's he's done he's done pretty well. So we can let him off on on Saturday because it wasn't a start. And given that he's going to be at his optimum fitness, which again is is I mean that's not something usually associated with him, but he has stayed fit this season. Then it might be more logical to put him next to Maguire. Uh, Wan Bissaka, I just don't think there's any case whatsoever to be playing him. I think Dallow's doing pretty. Well, uh, now he's getting. Now he's had a run in the team. He's he started three games on the spin. That's not happened, I think, since I think it was April 2019, the last time, and the only time that's happened. So if it was to be a fourth against Brentford, that would be the first time it's ever happened in his United career, which would be a reflection of, of the progress he's made and would possibly knock on the head any chance of him leaving next month. A few weeks ago, that certainly seemed a possibility. Now that seems very, very improbable. And, and Cavani, just, just how brittle he is, I can't see him going straight into the team. Maybe the squad. I mean, the, the issue on, on Saturday was that there were two goalkeepers on the mm. bench. So United were borderline depleted, but then they still had some pretty enviable options to bring off the bench and uh, in, in case they, they did need to go for the win um, beyond just bringing Greenwood on for Sancho. Yeah, there will be too many violins about United squad depth will there against Norwich when you've still got yeah. all that quality on the bench. Uh, and I guess maybe the, the final way to end this, Samuel, the Johnny transfer window is creeping ever closer. We you know, always have to keep one eye on, on what lies ahead. And again, from that embargo section, the future of Anthony Marshall, which was discussed over the weekend, his agent you know, saying that he's going to push for a transfer next month. Uh, I don't think, again, there'll be too many tears shed should he leave the club in the new year. But what what do you make of that? And what do you make of United in general ahead of the January transfer window? Do you think it will be a window in which United are getting rid of players rather than recruiting any new faces? I think the outgoings have to be prioritised just because of various uh, situations with players. Marshall's agent has obviously come out and said that Marshall wants to leave. When we asked Ranjik about that in, in the embargoed section, which, as I said, it will be coming out after this. But by the time you've heard this podcast, by the time this podcast has been released, those quotes will be out there. Uh, but he gave the agent short shrift. He said he doesn't communicate uh, with agents via the media and press. And he said, to be honest, this is quote, to be honest, what his agent says via the media is not of that much interest to me, uh, end quote. Uh, and he also advised Marshall that if he wants to leave, he should notify the club personally. Uh, so he, he confirmed what everyone suspected, that Marshall had not gone to the club, notified them of his desire to leave. It was just a case of the loudmouth agent probably getting the OK from his client and then going to um, a media outlet and saying, yeah, he wants to leave. The timing of it is not a coincidence. It's early December. It's alerting a number of clubs, if they would like to do a deal for Anthony Marshall next month, they've got the best part of two months to get something, to get a package in place, if you like, if, if they feel as though they can pull it off and they want to pull it off. Because obviously it's it's a very short month. There's not a lot of time to get those deals done. It's it's not ideal. Rangnick said January is not a sustainable month in terms of transfers ordinarily. But with, with Marshall... I mean, with Marshall, it's just a, it's such a strange one because, OK, it's fair enough that he, he will want to leave next year and it makes infinite sense for United to sell him next year. 
but January just seems very, very unlikely, certainly permanently. It's very, very difficult to pinpoint a club that you could see that deal happening. I mean, Newcastle clearly would, would be able to finance it, you'd have thought, but would Marshall relish going to Newcastle? Would he want to go to Newcastle? I, I highly doubt that. I, I know he's had a pretty dreadful um, 15 months or so, but and, and he is 26, you know, those, I'm sure there's still some people who refer to him as a young player, but those days <laughs> they ended three or four years ago. Um, but there's probably a club out there that still thinks that there's a project with Marshall where they could make him a world beater. I just don't think he's got the mentality to be a world beater at, at Man United. He could go to a club in Italy and thrive. I, I could you know, quite easily see that or, or, or another club, maybe not necessarily one of the big clubs in the Premier League. I just, I just don't think he's, um, I, I just don't think he's really quite, quite up for it enough. He doesn't, you know, I, I hesitate to say, given his knee injury at the moment, which seems to uh, go back to last season, I, I hesitate to say that he's another of these players that Solskjaer ran into the ground because Marshall doesn't run. He, he just, he, he, unfortunately he, he ambles about too much and, that that has vexed a lot of United fans for for a number of years. When he turns it on, his his ceiling is is really really high. He 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 has a world class ceiling, but you can't you can't keep on harping on about that when he's had two good seasons in in six and a half seasons. Uh, in a lot of ways, he he symbolises the the post post Ferguson malaise in that he was a an exorbitant signing. There's an element of player power there as well. The way that United cut out his demands in in Mourinho's last months and and in Solskjaer's first first couple of months as well when he when he got that new contract. But but certainly next year is has to be the the right time for all parties concerned just to just to get as good a deal as possible and let him go. He's only got one goal this season. He's got four Premier League goals this calendar year. I think seven goals last season. That's a really tough sell for a club to actually come in with a fee in January. And I noticed Lombolet didn't say permanent sale. He just said he wants to leave and that could be a loan with a view to a permanent move. But would would United be comfortable with that and Marshall and Lingard go in the same window? Suddenly you start getting to that territory where maybe uh, it's there's an element there's too much risk involved in it. You go back to 2017 where they let Schneidlin and, and Depay go, which made infinite sense given the money they received for both players. I think Schneidlin was rising to 24 million. Depay they probably got 21 million pounds out of altogether from Leon, uh, possibly two two really good deals. Um, and even though those two players weren't playing a hell of a lot. The, the squad size still went down enough for it to be a bit of a risk. And then come March, where, again, Bastian Schweinsteiger, who's probably more peripheral than, than either of those two players all season, went to Chicago. Um, United suddenly started getting a couple of injuries and suspensions and Matty Willock's on the bench. If, if Schweinsteiger had stayed uh, for the rest of the season, I think he'd have actually played quite a big, big role in in United's running, uh, whether it was the Premier League or the Europa League, I think he'd have got quite a lot of playing time. So it's just managing that squad size, but certainly they they need to get into a process of becoming proactive sellers because it's not happened often enough this season. The, the Daniel James case obviously was pretty outstanding because of the, the fee they got from Leeds and Ed Woodward even decided to mention it on his uh, on his last conference call. They were they were that proud with the work they did in in selling a player for such a 
um, you know, quite quite strikingly high fee. But they don't do that often enough, and they've they've just got to be decisive because there was too much indecision under Solskjaer in regards to a number of players' futures. Yeah, exactly. I think that would be the real sort of test of how far United have changed in, in those years to come. Like you said, Samuel, it's not just what's happening on the pitch, it's what's happening off it. And yeah, this week, we're, well, let's hope that things on the pitch can take the centre stage again. It feels like we've had a lot of distractions, like you said, there in the last few days. And United versus Brentford in midweek should be a chance for United to continue this upwards turn of form under Ralph Rannick as he looks for his third league win as United manager and maybe the third clean sheet as well. Samuel, thank you very much, as always, for joining us on the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you, Rich. Appreciate it, as always. And thank you very much, wherever you might be in the world, once again, for listening. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next time.